In 2021, Talk About It Outdoors partnered with an industry-leading brand that has stamped its name on the outdoor industry. Cruiser Saddles in itself stands on perfection, and with every climb we make, we elevate ourselves above the rest. In addition to a support to our hunting journey, the men and women behind Cruiser believe in the same principles of life as us. Faith, family, and the blessings of being better as they go in every sit. If your desire to pursue your passions one step ahead of the rest, go ahead and get in the best. Check them out on all the socials or head over to their website at www.cruiser.com. That's C-R-U-Z-R.com. And tell them to talk about it outdoors, boys, and Chasing Weekends sent you their way. The journey of life has a unique way of being able to create tried and true friendships as we go. In forming those relationships, oftentimes good things come to follow. Talk About It Outdoors is proudly supported by Cal Hardy of Arrowhead Land Company. Cal is the leading broker over Georgia and is happy to assist you with finding the place where you can call home. With vast knowledge and an understanding of the ever-evolving real estate market and a unique old-school approach to everything he does, he exemplifies what it means to treat others like you'd want to be treated. Don't settle for being just another number in a phone. Choose Cal Hardy for all your land, home, and commercial real estate needs and become a part of his family. We sure are blessed to have him as a part of ours. Find him on Facebook, Instagram, or give him a call at 770-296-2163. Step back to the times when a feed store was more than just that, and the people inside smiled with friendly faces and provided a place for a talk on life, as well as all your essential farm, livestock, and pet needs. Cherokee Feed the Seed located in Ball Ground, Georgia, with an additional location in Gainesville, are the hometown supplier of all your cattle, equine, and pet needs, with the added addition of being able to keep your deer herd healthy with protein and minerals. They also carry an assortment of hunting blinds and gear, and you can rest easy knowing the people that support local ball clubs and children's sports are who your hard-earned money is going to. The people here greet you with a handshake and a smile, and Cherokee Feed and Seed give more than just a product. They give you a welcome that'll make you return time and time again. Stop in next time you're in the area and tell them you're part of the Talk About It Outdoors family. A few years back, when an overbearing and overgrown backyard became an eyesore, I looked for a solution to resolve. LRS Land Services created a stunning and complete transformation turnkey at an affordable price with their mulching services. Not limited to mulching, LRS can provide turnkey grading and clearing, maintenance, right-of-way clearing, and even development for any and all forestry needs. With an innovative outlook on what is best for your land and a completely different approach than others, LRS can transform your overgrown eyesore into a beautiful landscape of your dreams. Give them a call at 404-889-1105 or check their work out on Facebook at LRS Land Services. Logan and his team are ready to make your land brand new again. Building the foundation of your life starts at the base, and the stronger it is, the better. 
Talk About It Outdoors is proud of our strong partnership with United Concrete and Paving and the foundation of support they provide. Whether your new home being built needs concrete work or that driveway you're tired of beating all the bearings from your pickup needs a paving, Michael and his team can provide any residential or commercial project support you might need from the ground up. If you're tired of tripping over that unsettled patio slab or a future shop build needs a smooth start, United Concrete and Paving can get you going when you need it most. Give them a call at 404-831-3036 and make sure you tell them them TAI boys are where you heard it first. You ready, Nick? Let's do it. All right, everybody, talk about it outdoors live from the Cruiser Saddle Studio. It's 2023, and we're kicking the door slap off this thing. We're on the backside of 150 with our episode count going right on into the new year, and we've got a fun one to start it up and get it going with. Y'all might recognize this name from some video series you saw coming out here in the fall. Y'all pull up a chair and set a while. This is going to be a fun one. Nicholas, I, I'm, I'm getting more and more excited for turkey season. I'm going to go ahead and get that out of the way right off the rip, buddy. Well, I was going to bring it up, man. You're still talking about deer hunting. <laughs> Where did I talk deer hunting? We're, we're talking about deer hunting tonight again. Well, we might talk deer hunting. We might talk turkey hunting. Buddy, it's good to be with you again. It seems like it's been forever, and it's only been a week. Boy, I pulled up out there a while ago, and you guys were turning wrenches on cars, and I thought, who the heck is coming up the driveway with them chicken lights? I was like, I don't, must be. he must have ordered a pizza. And it was none other than Mr. Alan Bullman. Come right up a driveway. <laughs> Come easing up here. He brought his brother-in-law with him to show what's going on in the Talk About It Outdoors studio. I tell you, what was most exciting to me is when we get a phone call from a friend who's in town. And, uh, well, we might have a new friend in this guest we've got tonight. See, he grew up right down the road from us, and we had no idea. I had no idea, man. His dad I'm, still lives here, too. I'm so. looking forward to picking his brain because um, I got some preference points coming up. How about you? <laughs> <laughs> I cashed all my preference points in. You hear him laughing year. in the background? Yeah, He's yeah. like, oh, there's another guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I cashed, cashed my preference points in uh, on, on shotgun season this year. So, there you but, go. you know, for, for what it's worth, what we've saw out of this gentleman over the last few years, it's been exciting. And, and we've taken a page out of their book with some of the videography stuff. They do mm-hmm. it as good as anyone does when they do their storytelling. And it's been that way for a lot of years. We've had some former members of this team on the show in the past and they've since moved on to new adventures and it's kind of why we wanted to get this guy on tonight to hear what their new adventures may be what happened and kind of tell a story of why they're no longer there uh for me it was it was pretty exciting to see what they were able to do and him being a georgia boy this is gonna be a good one it is gonna be a good one i can't wait to pick his brain uh without further ado and don't mess he it is, up. He is a he is a guy that doesn't like the limelight, but he is a big buck hammer. He's learned from one of the best. He's a protege, Mr. Jared Mills. You can tell by looking at him. He hunts like Jared. He thinks like Jared. And uh, I can't wait to see him in a ghillie suit next, knocking one down. So, Max Mangrello, welcome to Talk About It Outdoors. Thanks for having me, boys. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. 
Georgia boy grew up in McDonough, Georgia. So we're going to have to go way on back to the days when we first got started hunting ourselves. And I'm sure Max can tell us when he uh, he got his start, and it's probably close to the same way we did. So, Max, take us through the journey, kind of introduce everyone to you, and tell them, uh, tell them who you are because, hey, there may be people that don't recognize your name. Yeah, sure thing. Yeah, if anybody does recognize me, it's probably from my time uh, with Midwest Whitetail. That was um, the August of 2019 is when I made the leap to move out here to where I still currently live out here in southeast Iowa. The land of the Giants. Uh, so 2019 through middle of November this year of uh, 22, I was spent my time with my swat tail, but taking it way on back, as you guys said, born and raised in McDonough, Georgia, right there, smack dab central. So first things first, it sounds good to hear a few boys with a draw. I've just been, <laughs> God, it feels like forever. <laughs> Mine will come back by, by the end of this podcast mine will thicken up a little bit and then by the end of the week it'll be i can't wait till jerry gets yeah. on the phone with him he says who in the hell have you been talking yeah. to <laughs> who's, y- who's y'all <laughs> <laughs> oh, so boy. did you did um, you grow up deer hunting uh, around the area down there max or was it something that you developed later on um crazy enough i actually don't other than one uncle I do not have a single hunter in the family, so my hunting journey, I really started fishing uh, at, the, at the earliest of my outdoor experience. I don't have any hunters really around me other than a few buddies growing up, so my hunting didn't take off until borderline, you know, when it was about time to start driving to where I could get myself out there. So crazy as it sounds, I'm pretty much self-taught in the hunting. I had a couple of mentors here and there that we can get into when i was in high school i went and got a job at a bow shop over there in stockbridge at the army navy store i don't know if you guys ever heard of that is that um, not, is, is so, that is that the same that's not the uh what's the name of that now it's called 40 42 north gun range or something yeah I, it was all stockbridge army navy back when i was there and then uh nathan hills was running it and now he Took his stuff to Jackson. I think he's got a little shop down there. That was the, like the the quintessential place around McDonough for a bow shop, right? That's the only place. Yeah, unless you want went up to Social Circle to their shop up there. And if you were from McDonough, Jackson, you had to go there. So you, I went up there in high school and got a job, and luckily met a couple guys that kind of mentored me. Home, but really, I don't. I could not tell you. I could not pinpoint how in the world I got interested or even wanted to start hunting, but. I did, and it's taken me this far. So, growing up, I think I didn't do too terribly much hunting unless it was with friends until at least serious hunting until I could drive, and then it then it just turned. And somebody just turned me loose. The state of Georgia turned me loose, and it was over. Now, when you first started learning about the the art of hunting, I want you to kind of think back a little bit for me and and, and tell me what was it that intrigued you to get into it not necessarily what got you into it but what was the intrigue for you i've always been drawn to sports that were individual um i don't know i don't know i'm not somebody that likes i want all the pressure on me and i don't if i'm let down i don't want it to be on somebody else to where i have somebody to blame I don't think it's it's not a thing that I don't want to owe any credit to anybody for doing a good job if that was the case. But I always preferred individual anything, hobbies or 
sports. I loved the fish and I didn't, didn't do too much in competitive fishing. I always loved anything individual where I can be the one that makes a difference. And so I think that was a little bit my draw to hunting about is, all right, I do this, you know, I, I'm the one that does prep, uh, takes all the preparation and then the, in the heat of the moment, you know, either succeeds or fails. I've always been drawn to something like that. And hunting just stuck out to me as, although there are team effort, I guess, hunts out there when you're by yourself for the most part, it's all on you. And so that, that was pretty attractive. Well, being and an I think there's something too in your, in every person's genetics, whether they fight it or, or they just finally give in. I think it's in all of us. I'll never deny it. So that it's in all of us. So it, it's kind of, kind of funny you say that because you you are now part of a team with the the things you've done with midwest whattail in the past and in the filming you're a team in that and yeah but just in the same respect you're an individual because the hunter is the guy doing his part and as a camera guy if you fail in your part it's still an individual sport so it's kind of a kind of a two-way street there yeah there's no doubt i definitely when there was no filming involved, man, life was a lot simpler when it was just go get in a tree. And then once once you start dabbling, which I'm sure you guys know plenty of, once you add filming to it, it becomes not only ideally a, a team sport, but, wow, man, you start converting a lot less. When you were back in Georgia hunting and you said you beat up these woods here, was it mainly public ground or was you hunting on leases and hunting clubs like most of us around here do? Um, for the most part, it was private. I... I don't know. I I have never my entire life, ever since I, the first one, I never had any problem knocking on doors. It never bothered me. I'm not afraid of the confrontation at all. So I, I, I bet I started knocking on doors even before I could drive, whether it was just a buddy that was older that could drive or people I meet. I just never had any, I never saw any problem with getting to know. So I'd ask anybody if they, if I found out somebody on the ground and didn't, didn't knew that didn't know if anybody's hunting in or, or whatnot I, i'd ask anybody so i accumulated a pretty good amount of permission ground right there around the house in high school so i had plenty of ground hunting i didn't even start hunting public at all uh until i went moved up to college at kennesaw state and i was once you factor in atlanta traffic it's 50 miles in atlanta traffic so i was a nine hours from home being up at kennesaw state so Goodness, I started hunting pine log and some other and Chattanooga Central Forest, some of those other places. Whoa now, whoa now, you you talking about our stomping grounds now? That's a good one. There you go, talking about pine log, and and for people for people that don't know, and and there may be some people that listen to this show that you've made acquaintance with in in the Midwest states. How hard is it to hunt pine log mountain compared to the Midwest? God, I. I'll never forget my first hunt on any public ground was Pine Log WMA opening day turkey season 20, either 2020 or 20. No, that's not right. I would have been, I was in college. So 2016, 2016 or 17 was my first ever. I scouted like a fool the two weeks leading up, found, didn't run into really that many birds, surprisingly. And then finally, opening day came around. I'd roosted one the night before, and I think, I think 117 people probably beat me to that spot opening day. And <laughs> Nick was probably one of them. Pine log, which is, is 20,000 acres. I think there was 
probably twenty twenty two thousand Chevrolets. <laughs> so that that was uh that was a rude awakening. It took me two full years of two I did not I only deer hunted a couple of times and mostly turkey hunted it. I think it took me two years to actually kill a bird. Do you when you talking about that, do you have to explain this from time to time or do you bring it up in conversation when you and Jared or Grant are sitting around and, and chatting about like, man, it's it's not easy, but there's more deer here. This is less challenging. Do you, does this conversation get brought up around camp with you guys? Absolutely, and I will say that you you cannot you you cannot put into words the difficulty. I mean, I hunt plenty of public in Iowa, and my course these last four or five years living here, and you won't see a person for the first twenty days of October, and then when people take their vacation, they'll hunt the next to the parking lots and then you get some diehards that that dive in the first 10 days of november and then it's a ghost town again and that goes and turkey's even worse nobody even hunts public land for turkey so trying to convey the difficulty of the southeast public lands to somebody up here you just can't do it you can't explain to somebody like jared that on ten thousand acres there's legit 100 people who cover the whole thing on opening day of turkey season. Mm-hmm. You, you cannot explain it. And it's it's often been brought up in conversation with us as compared to the Midwest, because we travel to the Midwest and hunt. You know, we go to Illinois, we go to Iowa, we go to Kentucky, and we try to explain it to them where we will spend an entire season and may see a dozen deer. If you go to Pine Log Mountain and you see a deer, you consider <laughs> that a successful hunt. Not a buck, not a doe. It, you see a deer you're like, hell yeah, I had a good hunt this morning. I got mm-hmm. to see one. And you go to a place like Illinois or Iowa, and you see 10, 12, 15 deer in a hunt. You're like, you take a, a southern boy up there and throw him in the woods, son, it's game on. Yeah, my one of my, I mean, some of my worst sits ever here are, uh, it took me, I'm way too, if I came back home and hunted, which I, I, I only get home maybe once a year, and I've only hunted at the house maybe twice in the last five years but i'm well conditioned to the midwest now because if i get skunked i'm like a little girl like i'm having a fit but then i gotta humble myself and think back to maybe i didn't see a deer in october in the whole month of october growing up so i gotta i've definitely got conditioned it's probably bad it's probably softened me up a little bit. i used to if i got skunked it's like on to the next but now my god it drives me up to flipping walls so take Just, us if you saw a dozen deer in one city in Georgia, I can't that's why I try to explain to Jared. He's like, all we saw was ten does. I'm like, that is the best hunt of ninety percent of the people I grew up with in their entire life. People that hunted Georgia for forty years. That's the one of the best hunts they ever had was seeing ten deer. But he just don't he don't understand that, correct? He doesn't understand because I mean I I just had the season went out here on the tenth. On the ninth I saw hundred and 120 deer good god one set on yeah but you just can't explain it to somebody that grew up here you don't understand what it's like to go sit the first week of november every morning and afternoon five days straight and not see a deer you can't explain that to somebody because you can sit 
on the interstate here and see a hundred in the first ten days. Well, and I think that's that's been a narrative that that people don't understand in in podcasting and the YouTube and everything that's out there now has given people a little bit better understanding of what it's like to struggle here. But do you feel like growing up in the South? and moving to the Midwest made you a better hunter? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think it it certainly made me a better hunter as far as maybe tactics and strategy, but I think one thing it, that you can't account for, and no matter how much you study or how much you learn from other people, one thing you can't, there's no, there's no substitute for patience. And I think if anybody that grows up in the South that, that actually hunts hard, I mean, I hunted my tail off high school all the way through college and i think the one thing that i took away from that that's that overpowers that overshadows everything as far as any knowledge i have is patience i mean i can i'm telling you people here would get skunked and they'd be they wouldn't go back out for a week but part of it growing up down there as you guys know is just that's just part of it so the you just just get tough i mean it's just as simple as that just the patience you build down there you can't replace especially in the turkey woods as well i mean everything down there is stubborn that's probably the one word that's been repeated more on this show than anything is patience and you speaking to turkey hunting you know that's the one thing that people's like hey you got to have more patience got to have more patience and growing up in the south people can uh, ultimately attest to it because we've had great success going from here to the midwest and when you only see two or three deer, we're excited just because we got to see that. So it's it's a neat thing to see the transition on on it going from here and seeing you there. So let's let's move into the you got something? Yeah, I, yeah. I got a I got a two part question here, kind of in the same line that we're running. The first part: Have you took any tactics or techniques that you learned in Georgia and been able to help guys like Owen or Jared or Mike or anybody and and that's the first question. Next question, what would be something that you learned from them the most? Hmm. I had to think about that one here for a minute. I don't know. I don't know if I've actually ever taught any of those guys anything. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think I would have, you know, Mike is actually one that's pretty well conditioned to that himself growing up in Louisiana. Their hunting is pretty tough. He hunted some pretty good places, but he also hunted – cut his teeth on a lot of public land that that people don't know you know when he was in growing up down there uh, so he's probably the most well seasoned as far as around the country i'd probably put him up against a lot of people jared's just a phenomenal hunter it's hard for me to say that i taught them anything i mean other than don't don't ever pass a doe <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> i have a hard time still doing that I've been how about like the per, five, five per, years how about like the permission thing was as far as knocking on doors yeah i think there's i thought i don't know I, I think some of it has to do with the upbringing um i don't know you, you guys can correct me if i'm wrong here but i feel like growing up in the south i wouldn't say it's a prideful thing but it, it may just be like a in a confidence that's instilled in even younger people. I never had any problem my whole life. I've never, no matter how young I was, 14, 15, 16, I never had any problem knocking on somebody's door and looking a grown up man in the eye. I never had a problem with that. And it seems to be that 
maybe that's a cultural change that's happening, a social change with younger kids that are in that realm. You know, that 16 year old feels like they just can't look anybody in the eye. But I definitely think that going around get permission is easier here than it, it was at home. I mean, it's not easy here because now that people are starting to learn and think highly, more highly of Iowa, so the leases are starting to come about. But I still get permission. I still can hunt. I bet I can hunt 2,000 acres around here that I don't pay a dime for. It's just knocking people, uh, knocking on doors and looking people in the eye. And so I think that's something that I've gone about different than most people. Most- I've got people that, you know, live around me here that have lived here their whole life and they know everybody, but they still hunt the same 50 acres and they talk about how they wish they could hunt. So we'll go knock on the damn door. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and the people you know, up there, their brother, their cousin, everything. The people up there are genuinely some of the finest folks that, that I've ever been able to meet. And going to Iowa over the last 10 years, and we go during the shotgun season, so it's more of a camaraderie thing. You know, we go up and hunt with the guys that we've known for a lot of years. And, but, man, when you meet those people up there and you realize just how happy they are to see someone new and be able to speak to someone different, because... But when you get to meet those genuine folks that are in that area up there, they're just they're, there's none in the country that I've met any nicer than the people in Iowa. Yeah, I can absolutely, absolutely attest to that. There's a reason beyond just the good hunting. There's a reason I haven't left and, and headed back home. Or anything like that. The lifestyle up here is different. Everybody always says the South maybe moves a little bit slower. Well, if you think the South moves slower, then you ought to, come to the midwest because boy does nobody gets worked up about anything <laughs> the heart the, the hardest whole, thing they get worked up over is if it's gonna rain tomorrow or not yeah the whole i, I don't know if, you know cherokee county is pretty a lot like same as henry county uh, there's no people for some reason when they think they hear from georgia like oh they just think Atlanta. fields and fields <laughs> there's no there's no either that or they think out in the middle of nowhere there was no there's no farm within an hour drive of me. There's no farming. There's no tillable ground. There's no, I mean, there's nothing. You got to go down. You got to get south of Macon or anything, or you know, get. You got to get pretty far away from anything before there's any like farming. So when I moved here and learned about actual farming, that's something right there. We just thought we were like, farming in Georgia. There's <laughs> way more cowboys. There's way more country out here where I'm at now than there is in McDonough. Who just because they don't have a draw out here, they, their lingo is a little different. This is this is some wild stuff out here when these boys get to farming. Who or what was your biggest – so who was the biggest influence when you started producing or wanted to produce? Who was the biggest influence that you looked up to back when you were living in Georgia? Um, Man, I think I'd have to say it was Waddy. I – don't, probably when I first started getting curious about hunting, he just happened to be in like, Realtree Road Trip Season 1 or something. was like the first DVD I ever got. And so I thought, then as I learned and heard about more and more that was out there, Waddell always stuck out to me because he was from, I mean, basically from Jackson, which is right down the road from me. I mean, I, I've been, was at T-Bone's archery shop back before he sold it and kind of became an outdoor personality so those guys over there all like the real tree guys especially michael and all them always became the ones i looked up to just because i felt like 
they did it more or less the right way. Like he come from humble beginnings and didn't change anything about their approach and just, I don't know, just work for it. Mm -hmm. You know, Michael started behind the camera and guiding or calling turkeys, turkey calling, and then started behind the camera until he finally got his attempt. And so I kind of was aware of that's how it most goes in the industry. If you ever get your shot, I mean, I, the stuff, the opportunities at Midwest White Tool were really, um, they're a lot faster than, than you'd find anywhere else. I mean, usually you spend, you know, I, uh, remember meeting, talking with Mark Womack, who was a big time producer. Now he's, he owns, I think he owns sub seven, but I remember talking with Womack when I was in high school, when I was trying to figure out kind of what I was going to do or what path I was going to take. And I remember him saying that if, kind of telling me that if you're in to try to get in front of the camera, you're in for a rude awakening because people spend their entire career and never get their shot. Mm-hmm. So I thought Waddell was always the one that I kind of looked up to in that aspect, not because I ever felt like he was in it to get a shot in front of the camera. And I always felt that about myself too. I just wanted to be in it because it puts me in the field more. And I think then once, obviously he's an absolute goon. So they let him in front of the cameras and then realize, Oh, we got something here. And I didn't necessarily think that about myself, although maybe that's what somebody would tell you, but I just always respected the way they went after it. I mean, I think all those guys, I mean, I, I know Tyler pretty well, Tyler Jordan and, I don't know Waddell really, but I figured all those guys did it because they liked to hunt. That's why I was doing it. So when you when you start, would you was you filming long before you went up there to Midwest Whitetails? Not too terribly long, more or less. I, I started dabbling in, uh, in high school and then all the way through college. Got a little bit better, a little bit better, a little bit better, but nothing nothing crazy. I think I had an understanding, not a not a heavy skill set, a little bit of an understanding and a desire to learn about it. Just it eventually, I didn't really have a ton of experience. And then kind of when I got the opportunity to pursue the internship at Midwest and it just all kind of came to fruition, started logging some crazy hours on the computer and also behind a camera to where I just kind of developed a little bit more skill and then kind of cultivated this curiosity passion that I had. So you and Grant, you and Grant started at the same time, correct? Yeah. Oh yeah. We moved. Grant and I have been living together now since the, when we both moved to Iowa the same day, August of 2019. Yep. So he came from Kentucky over there, and me from down where you guys are at. We've had several was, folks on. He was probably a little bit ahead of me, but go we've, ahead. We've had a couple of guys talk about the internship at Midwest Whitetail and their experience with it, and. Do you think that sets you on a course to success right out oh, of the absolutely. gate? Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, if it wasn't for anything else other than just the time to disconnect from everything else, I mean, you're so busy in the internship during the at least Grant and I's year. It's, it's changed a little bit. You know, I, I helped Jared run it. I mean, I, I went. I did all the interviews and all the did all the interviewing and went through all the applications the last couple of years. But at least when Brian and I did, you're so busy that you're forced to disconnect from everything. You can talk to your family on the phone or not, but there's just you're just so busy on perfecting your craft at filming and editing that if there wasn't any other takeaway, that would be your one. Is you will leave a good a proficient videographer producer, whether that's you decide that's a career you want to follow, you will spend so much time doing it 
that you'll either quit, <laughs> you'll throw in the towel and quit, or you will you will be good at it by the end of it. Watching, and I have a lot of other great takeaways from it too. I mean, it was awesome all together. I mean, Grant and I heck still live together. However many years it's been, four or something, three, four. So, is it true that when you guys finished a hunt, if you were hunting with Jared, you came back to the house, edited that footage that night? <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. I, I was filming for Josh Sparks in 2019. Grant was filming for Jared for the most part. We would we'd switch out here and there you know, if Grant got sick or maybe had some other stuff he needed to edit or something, and I was free, I'd go run camera for Jared. But for the most part, you have your guy, and you're hunting in October only afternoons, and you're editing as soon as you get home. And in November, you're filming all day long and then editing. Because you, you've got to get caught up because you're ready for the next day so by the time your pet your head hits the pillow you got to be caught up because the next day when your alarm goes off tomorrow's got to be behind you you got to be done you got to be caught up so we spent plenty of plenty of all-nighters and plenty of couple you know two three hours of sleep nights all all fall long but it flies by it's crazy how fast it goes when you started in in that pathway how many times did you just want to throw in the towel, Max. Did you say this ain't for me, or was it? Did that ever come into your mind? I'm not sure I ever got that that far. There was a couple guys that we've had a couple quit along the way here and there. I don't know about my year if we hadn't quit. Definitely some frustrating times. And I I think part of it was just my personality. I'm like a I want to be as close to perfect as I can, and so something is. And I don't consider myself, although maybe I am, I don't consider myself particularly creative. So when I was learning how to edit, I had no problem picking up the videography. That part I've always been good at. I just see it well and can get the shot, and, and it's always, you know, I don't have any problem learning the settings or anything like that. But that post-production side always just really pissed me off when I was learning because I could never be perfect. So that part was super frustrating. Because you're still trying to learn and incorporate some creativity, and to just drive yourself up the walls if you're anything like me in the beginning. So I'd say I'm more frustrated. I never wanted to quit because I think at the end of the day, even if I pulled an all night, I mean, I remember. I don't know if it was that year, 2019. We can get into it later. When I went and worked for the Lindsays, Jeff and David in 2020, I remember pulling back to back or even three all nighters in a row. No, no sleep at all. I remember those times where you're like, potentially you want to quit just because you're, you're just, you're torched. But then still at the same time, always in the back of my head, every, for some, I don't know, if, it's just a blessing really, but I was always able after an all nighter or after a terrible night or whatever, getting chewed out for doing something wrong. I was always able the next morning when we're sitting in a tree and the sun came out, I was always able to hit the reset button and say, God, I'm lucky to be doing this. There's a, I've always said since I moved and made the jump, I always said there's not just a million. There's, there's a billion people that would kill me to take my job. So that always kind of stuck in the back of my mind and, and definitely kept me from ever wanting to quit, but even really kept me from getting too worried. When when you started down the pathway of going into the the production side, that's about to drive me crazy. I don't know what is. Co- 
when you when you were in the post production kind of thing, what programs did you find that were sufficient for you? And does Midwest Whitetail and everything that you've learned has it always been based off of one program, or did everything change as you went from one place to another? I know you said you were at the Lindsay's. Did they use a different program, or did you just use what you wanted to? Thankfully, not. I, when I started in high school dabbling it was with adobe and luckily that's what for the most part 90 percent of the people you encounter that do it professionally use the full adobe suite so luckily i had a somewhat of a basic understanding of it and then that carried through you know what no matter who i've ever worked for for the most part the guys like so jeff and david i mean i still keep up with them a lot i still have a group text with them from when I was filming for them, but they know nothing about the post-production nor nothing for the most part, absolutely nothing about their own, their own camera equipment. It's so that that's, it's all on the producer. That's all at that point. That was all on me. So that actually made it easier. You know, if you have somebody, sometimes I felt like it could be difficult, more difficult working with somebody like Jared or with Josh Sparks because they're such proficient, are, are such good producers that sometimes you get two of us together working on something you would think it'd be a double whammy you know you get two professionals working on something sometimes it's worse because i like something he don't that jared doesn't he he wants it one way and i don't like it and so it was kind of nice and it is still nice if i'm on a project or doing something for somebody that knows nothing about it it's just like well they don't they can't tell me anything so i can do it my way and it's going to be hopefully they're happy with it if that makes any sense can you attest to that nick that because we've dabbled into the video side this year we filmed all of our hunts this year we filmed everything and nick kind of took it upon himself to be the the producer of talk about it outdoors for the the next year dropout do you find it easier than when everybody stays out of your business? Oh, absolutely. Don't you? <laughs> Nobody's messing with you about stuff. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. 100%. <laughs> I mean, but 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 like you said, though, I mean, I don't think I think that could just go with anything in life, though. It, it doesn't matter what you're doing. Somebody's not going to like what you put together. So, I mean, yeah. I think you have to put out what, you know, best fits it. And, you know, you can take advice from someone for sure, but. I mean, you you see it, and everybody's got a different eye for different different things. We watched it happen this evening. Tyler was changing an alternator on my car in the driveway, and I was like, "You gonna take that off like that?" I mean, I was like, and I was just aggravating him. But anything that you do, if they're looking over your shoulder and telling you, "Don't do it that way, do it yeah. this way," it, it drives you crazy. It is. Everybody's got their own way of doing it. How many how many yeah. times have you dropped out that fire just amazing episode or or content, Max? And Jared said, "I don't like that. Change it." Uh, I mean, we don't we don't have enough time to get it. I mean, it's <laughs> every every time Jared is like, I, I I just it took me years. Jared and I have worked alongside each other from since 2019 until we're technically not working, although. We're, we still bounce stuff off each other. We're technically like not working together right now, but it took me two, at least two full years to just understand that no matter what, I could be beyond satisfied with something. I just had to learn that he would have a change or something he would do different. So when you finally, I finally learned to let that stop pissing me off, <laughs> and our friendship <laughs> grew for sure. But 
I think there's a, just a thing with every producer and maybe every confident producer is that when I see something or if somebody trusts me with a project or, or you know, gives me an assignment, I see it like one way. Once I see it one way, it's borderline impossible. You might as well, if you don't like my approach to it or the way I've done it, you're better off just going and taking it to somebody else. Like if, if I was assigned a task at Midwest Whitetail and I did it one way and didn't like it, you're better off just going and asking Grant to take a shot at it. Because even if I scrapped it, my second edit is going to be so freaking similar to the first. You're not going to like it either. It just is the way it is with a, I think with all producers, we're, we, we see it and it comes together in my head and then I put it to the timeline. And that's just how it is. If you didn't like it, then <laughs> dude, I don't know what to tell you. When you're when you're putting that stuff together at nighttime, you're talking about coming in from the field, putting stuff together. Is this all rough draft, or are you actually making a episode? Oh no, these are full full polished. The whole daily channel is all done for the most part okay. day of. And, and I think it's changed a little bit since then. You know, we used to put out like the year that Grant filmed Jared. There was like seventy blogs that year, and I think now they dialed it back to like twenty. So I mean. Yeah, we were busting them out like you wouldn't believe. I mean, they were coming out. They would be live by midnight. Mm. Fully now, polished, everything. Coloring, audio corrections, everything. Now, when you are putting this footage together, how many times are you going back and looking at it, going back, looking at it? Or once you finish to the end of it, that's it? Uh, Usually, no matter what, it's pretty... Uh, habitual for me to go back and watch it maybe two times all the way through sometimes i'll watch it the whole thing when i'm even looking at it just to listen to it make sure everything's good and then maybe one time i just watch it but for the most part i mean it gets i've seen it so many dang times through an edit that i know kind of what's going on i might watch it one or two more times to make sure everything's how i like it and then i might usually watch the final export a couple times to make sure there wasn't any thing that the computer goofed up in the export like a pixelation or a glitch or anything like that that can happen sometimes but for the most part if i finish a 20 minute edit of something i've seen it 182,000 times already <laughs> oh I, I, and, and when you watch the the production piece uh, just say when it dropped out the the whole uh midwest whitetail series before season when it come out, did you notice anything that you had missed as far as production goes? No, I think there's always things that when you watch it down the road, there's on every piece that I've ever put out, there's always something where you're like, ah, I probably could have done something different, but in the right. thick of it, time is of the essence. I mean, on, on everything, it's actually been kind of a relief now that, you know, Middle Swide Tail is built around the semi-live format. And so when you're not working, that's all I've ever known until, you know, just now. You know, now I can have a little bit more freedom time-wise. And so you have a little more time to maybe set the edit down for a day or two and come back to it. And like, oh, man, man I could change this or try this. But for the most part, everything that's done Middle Swide Tail-wise is right in the thick of it. There is no time. You pretty much pick what, what you think and you roll with it. You pick pick what comes to mind first and you roll with it so there's of course there's things on the back end you wish you would have changed but time is of the essence you don't need there is no time all right so we've talked and you know enough on the production side of it we've kind of went through it 
take us through the hunting. You know, what is what has been some of your major accomplishments over the last year in your mind in the in the outdoors? I mean, you're you're a videographer, you're a producer. What's the hunting side of it been like for you? Man, it's been such a journey. I feel like, you know, I have spent a ton of time, ten times more. Ten times the hours behind a camera that I have in the in the in the stand in the in the hot seat, and I finally this year I would say twenty twenty two I finally feel like I'm getting the hang of hunting these deer out here, and I, I say that with full honesty that I still have plenty to learn and I understand that, but it has taken me this long to figure out what the heck I'm doing hunting these deer. That it is so unlike hunting in georgia it is so different uh, i mean it took me years you know not getting necessarily getting skunk but it just took me and i'm still learning every time but of this year finally it's starting to make more sense about just how these these deer move like you don't see a deer in a field growing up in georgia if you had a hunting a hay field or something you might see one with 10 minutes of legal left maybe they'll stay all They'll, they'll come out four hours before legal in a field here, and it just blows my mind. So they, they just move the deer specifically. Turkeys, I feel like if you can kill – if you can kill a Georgia turkey, oh, my – I mean, I'll tag out every time in four minutes. Max, I killed be, my two this year Max, be quiet. in like ten minutes. <laughs> Max, be quiet. we got people listening to this that might want to come up there and hunt. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> well, you, you'll kill your two – now, if you choose to gun hunt them, I used to bow hunt them. I quit just because I I just like blowing their beaks off, just more than I like shooting them with a bow. But I can kill my two birds in Iowa in one day. No joke. I can fill my two gun tags in one day very confidently. It'd take you to tag out in Georgia on like mature birds on, on like big gobblers. I mean, that is a serious accomplishment. That's crazy. But as far as the deer go, it's a whole different game. And you guys have probably seen that after traveling a little bit. There's a lot more deer, and I think just they're a lot less nocturnal just naturally here. I think they're more motivated to feed because of the weather, but they just move different here. I'm I'm going to throw something. Somebody has invited their self in. Kind of like turkey season, Nick. That sound just keeps coming and going. <laughs> oh, are you? Uh, I'm going to ask the question that Nicholas always likes to ask, Max. Are you a turkey hunter or are you a deer hunter? I think I have to say I'm a deer hunter. I think I, if I had to base it off anything, why would just be the the hype around it? I think I get turkey season. I'm not even. I'm not quite thinking about them yet. A little bit. I saw like 60 birds today because it rained a little bit this morning. But I'm just not quite there yet. Deer season by July, I'm I'm ready. So I'd have to say I'm, I'm a deer hunter. I like it. And, and, Turkey and, and I'm as here is just and without without being even the least bit prideful. It's just kind of easy. I mean, if you like, I don't know. There's a lot of birds and. God, they're just killable with a gun. They're just killable. Since you're talking about turkey hunting, I'm going to ask a question for my own good because I don't know this. But as far as preference points goes, how many preference points does it usually take to get drawn for a turkey tag? Iowa? Uh-huh. 
guaranteed your second year, but most people draw. Well, it depends on the zone. Most people draw every year. Grant's uh, dad and uncle have come up. They've both drawn three in a row, three years in a row. Okay. Depending on the zone. I don't know what. I couldn't even tell you what zone I'm in, but. So I just bought my. right around where I live, southeast, you get drawn every year. I just bought my second preference turkey point, so I should get drawn for sure next year, no matter what. Oh yeah, hundred percent. I could have got it this year. But you, you, did, you didn't, didn't draw this for, year. No, I didn't apply for it. Oh yeah, you definitely would have. There, I don't think I've ever heard of somebody with one not getting it his second. With you couldn't one, have went this year good. anyway, though. No, I couldn't have went this year. No, you've got so much on your plate. I mean, Max, I, I don't know if you. I, I know you don't know uh, Nicholas Wilson, but he is a world-renowned turkey traveler. He goes to every state he can and educates birds on his calling <laughs> techniques and he has been to uh utah no you've never been to utah hey, idaho south dakota and maine and uh, the only thing he found in idaho was a broadhead that some indian had shot two hundred years ago. There. oh did you kill one there oh gosh that's all that's all you've accomplished Just in all this travel bash nick tonight i was end. hoping you've been to utah i want to go to utah and try it well, Cody, that guy Cody left already. yeah, our, our Cody was here. He had to run out, um, but he'll be back in Utah for his second season. Uh, we've got a friend that lives in Utah, so yeah, all about scaring birds off. That's all he did. <laughs> That's all they did. <laughs> scared every turkey in the country. After after I've watched y'all's success traveling the country turkey hunting, I'm I'm ready to take it up this year and see how it works. <laughs> that was pretty fun. That was fun for me getting to do chasing red i mean that that pretty much was my baby last year i mean i other than it took a, a team of us to brainstorm the name after the name and the logo was done that was my my child i that was pretty fun little gig going i don't know if you ever talked with andy milton or david williams you ought to get them two goons on they they actually were on the podcast get, when we were up at uh nwtf when they were with jared <sighs> And, oh and they come by. <laughs> they come by the booth and chatted there with us for a while. Um, I talked with Andy this morning. I think Jen and I are going to go over the weekend, meet them out there at their place in Tennessee, and hunt with them. With them to run around with them for two months. Ah, that's something else. Them too. Now, what, what's the what's the takeaway as far as deer hunting, filming versus turkey hunting, filming? Well, that's a good question. Um, hmm. That's a good question. I feel they're pretty similar in in the realm of as far as nerves go. Like, at least we have both. I think it depends on the setup, maybe, if, if that makes sense. As far as deer hunting goes, you're most of the time in the same tree. And so if it gets blown up, like the deer's looking at both of you. So it is what it is. Sometimes turkey hunt when you're spread out a little bit, if they pick off the camera guy and you're sitting 10 yards apart, well, you know, they picked off the camera guy. <laughs> that stings a little bit, but <laughs> I don't know. As far as difficulty, I think it's harder to pull off a really good deer hunt. As far as like, you know, if you get a deer in close, as far as like an outdoor videographer goes as far, you know, getting, good clean footage when you're up in a tree not trying to get picked off turkeys i don't know i mean as a camera guy i've got like a my own setup i've perfected over the last four or five years i kind of had to hunt a big 
makeshift like little pop-up screen and so i feel like i can have i can have a freaking full-on i mean clown show behind the screen and i'm fine so you do use a screen Deer when you're filming? i like that yeah i built this thing two years ago and i've the thing is the jam up but it's pretty much i just stake i stake it in and then i have a hole cut out for my whatever lens and i just pop it through and that way i'm completely hidden so that thing says me i feel like i could do whatever behind that but turkey don't have a clue deer you're in a tree is like the last thing you want to do is blow it especially because you know we're hunting turkeys if you I mean, you're just you're just hunting a turkey at that point you're and what you're trying to get on film is usually a a giant 180 you know yeah and you're hunting for deer it's like that one you're looking for that one encounter per year turkeys is like i don't know how i think i filmed like 20 20 birds die last year i mean i killed my two grant killed his two yeah i filmed probably 20 birds die deer is like you know there's one or two a year chances so i feel like it's more pressure with deer turkey so a little bit you know it, it can get chaotic in both i mean a turkey comes just dumping in i mean it's hard it, do you recall or remember a time that you messed something up as a camera guy either hunting with jared or someone that just sticks out that's a this it's a good story that you can tell us yeah i thankfully i know i have not ever done the famous double punch or anything like mash the fat finger the record button as far as i know like i've had some technical difficulties uh when i filmed jeff Lindsay in 2020 we killed a freaking giant when i got back to put it on the computer to start editing it the entire kill clip audio had like this unbelievable interference and so that was probably as goofy as it's ever gotten for me and that was like that sucked that took that was an extra eight hours probably of post-production trying to make shift some audio but i've never really goofed up anything i think i've had some shaky stuff if like a turkey comes running in or a deer it's hard to like you know get on and nail the focus all that kind of stuff but i never really goof one up real bad well that's a that's a good on you because i can promise you i have probably goofed up more trying to film <laughs> than and and i think that for us we're we're different than i mean you're looking at two separate ends of the spectrum on what we're trying to put out film wise and what you guys are doing. And for us, the worst thing we could do is, is miss the kill shot on camera. And it, we've, we've been there. I mean, each in each one of us as individuals have, we've, Oh, we ain't been able to get it on camera. We're not going to let that camera stand in the way of us killing a deer. <laughs> whereas right. you have to i mean if you can't as yeah. a self filmer you that's your job you have to get that kill on camera and if you don't you can't take the shot right yeah that's a that's a whole different ball game i will say i have cost at least one deer that i know of i've cost in 2019 i cost josh sparks the buck it was all my it was kind of my fault kind of kind of both of us we packed up probably a little earlier than we should have in the morning came running in and when i was trying to put the camera back on the arm it made a noise or something and i i blew it for us but other than that i i've been fortunate enough to not ever have any big time mistakes i know plenty of them on 
that's that sucks because as a camera guy, you, you you're the best camera guys are just a fly on the wall. Um, if you have to call Bill Jordan or Daniel Thomas as the media director of Realtor, you have to call him and tell him that <laughs> you just double punched, you know, Blanton just shot a two hundred and you don't have it. But I don't want to be that guy. <laughs> no, no, I wouldn't want to be that guy either. And I, I know that guy, a couple of those guys, so. So what about this, Max? That would not be fun. Now that saddle hunting's getting bigger, are you guys are the camera guys starting to saddle hunt to help out with better footage? We, I should say, we. I have not actually ever sat in one or, or hung in one. I don't know what you call it, but I would not be opposed to it if I was if I was just filming. I would not be opposed to it at all for mobility and carrying one less freaking tree stand. When are you coming to Canton? We I got one for you to try out. Yeah, come on. Come on. We'll put put him in one, Ed. We're going to strap you in one of these cruiser saddles and let you try them out. Because I promise you, growing up the way that you did and then going to the Midwest, it is a game changer when it comes to filming. Now, the hunting aspect, we've we've had our challenges and we're having to learn through that. But the filming side, there has nothing ever been created any more better. I bet Grant or Mike or... Mike or Jared or none of those guys have ever hunted out of a saddle, have they? No, no, oh, I, th- I don't think Jared's ever got one. We, I don't know. I want my if I'm the, in the hot seat, I want my feet on the. Oh, you're platform. on. You're think, on a platform. Yeah. You're on a platform. You you think you think that you can shoot better out of a stand? I'm I'm telling you, man, it blew my mind when I got in it and started shooting out of it. How more? How much more consistent I was with my shooting? It, it's. It's a game changer. When you get when you get back to Georgia, when you're coming through sometime, or just holler at us. You can come down here. We gotta we'll put you up. You come down and you get in a saddle, I promise you it'll change your whole perspective. I'm not opposed to it, and there's no doubt. I, I use, when they first came out, I'm like, no, get that out of my same way with sight, me. But now, same way. Every pound matters and when you start carrying ridiculous amount of gear, then it's like every ounce. So I, I wouldn't be opposed to it, especially as just if I'm only doing this, I'm not, if I'm just filming, I wouldn't be opposed to it at all. You'd love it. Now I'm, I'm telling you, it's a, it's a game changer. And for, for us being in Georgia and you know how straight the trees are here, you can get, you know, oh, a, yeah. a stand pretty much anywhere. When you go to the Midwest, there ain't a straight tree to be found, especially in Iowa. <laughs> I mean, you get on those cottonwoods up there, you get on the edge of a field, they're like, Oh, I got to put a stand in that tree. Really? Well, the saddle, you don't even think about that. I mean, it's, it's, you can hang literally in any tree that you can get up. As long as you can get up it, you can hang in it and you don't have to worry about it being leaning or have a limb or have a crooked spot in it. I mean, it's, it's a game changer. And, and I would love to see you guys do something in a saddle because, man, I'm telling you, it's, it changes your whole perspective on what you can and cannot do from a tree. If there's a dude, then it's Jerry, because there's not a tree. You, there was no tree that he will be defied by. He will get in that sun gun. It might be a death trap, but he'll get in it. And you'll get in it if you're filming him, somehow. <laughs> oh, I can only imagine that spending time in the woods with, with Jared Mills would rival any task that you could ever possibly imagine. Yeah, it's... Hunting those places, some of the places he does, or hunt with them, it's a lot, a lot of fun. We've got him and I got a lot of good, a lot of good memories. So, how was your how was your hunting season this year? That was pretty good. So, I decided to 
uh, leave Midwest Whitetail about right around the first of November, give or take. So I we were doing pretty well up until then. I filmed Grant kill a six year old deer in early muzzleloader that we've hunted for a couple of years. Had a couple of good hunts in October. And then I was kind of more or less unemployed or, you know, freelancing, I guess, at that point. And so I I hunted my tail off for about two straight weeks before I got serious about finding some new work. So I had a heck of a year. I ended up finally killing a, a best deer to date and had, oh, man, I had a dozen hunts of probably this year that would rival my best ever. I mean, it passed. I passed two deer that were in the mid sixties that were, that were young ones, one's three and one was four. Saw several in the seventies and then finally killed that one. I think I can't even tell you what date. I killed on like the twentieth or something, give or take twenty, 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 somewhere in there in the twenties that he went one seventy one. Yeah, you posted uh, it on the twenty seventh. So if you if you hadn't already yeah, seen uh seen that post that Max made, you can see it right up there at the top of his Instagram page. If you if you go and go and look at it, it's a it's a hammer. Yeah, so kill that deer crazy enough. That's a deer that Grant and I almost killed last year on film. And so I uh, I had a heck of a year's deer season wise. I killed oh, I don't even want to know how many does I killed, but. I, you know, finally, I had a, it was kind of one of those seasons that you appreciate. I, I hunted so hard. I mean, I, just a ton and just kept getting so close and couldn't pull it together and couldn't make it happen. And then finally, on the, the day you least expect it, with kind of in my head, time running out as far as getting it done the, the, in the rut or your, the tail end of the rut finally came together. And so it was like, it was a, a sweet moment because he, then once you finally do you know, wrap that tag around when you're thankful for all those extra days you got to spend. If I would have tagged out on the I mean I passed one of those deer that I that young one, I think I passed them on like October the fifteenth. And so if I would have killed that deer, it's like, well, I'm done. Yeah, but you had a pretty exciting October this year, Max, and, and I actually found somebody to spend the rest of your life with, did you not? I did, I did. Sure did. So now that you've got that Grant killed actually. Yeah. That, that, so I mean, <laughs> you can drag her out. Grant said, "Well, I guess I'll do it." <laughs> well, and I I know that uh, the, as you journey through this whole uh, a passion of yours, you you've probably spent more time in the woods than well anybody that will ever get the opportunity to know or, or speak with in the last few years, but. If uh, if Max Mangrello had one more hunt to film, who would that person be? Dang. One last hunt to film. Hmm. That's a pretty stiff one there, ain't it? That is. That is tough. Man, I don't know. I got... People, you know, maybe some of those guys kind of helped mentor me when I was younger, or heck, it might just be with a little girl. Once decided he's moving back to his hometown after here in a couple months, and so our kind of run together as roommates and all that might be coming in. It might just be a good old fun hunt with him. We've had some ridiculous 
memories we've built in the last four or five years. So I don't, I don't know if I can nail it down to one. Maybe I just have to cop out and say it was old pal. <laughs> old pal i like it well that was that was a question this whole time i've been thinking about what would what max's last and and you know we we made mention before the show got started here that um there was a, a gentleman that my dad and and one of his really close friends had met this year he was an amish guy that lived in kentucky that he was 44 years old and they were planning a squirrel hunt in the next few weeks and he drowned at, at 44 years old in a capsized boat and you never know how much time is going to be cut short and, and how fast it's going to fleet and, and go away from us. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I, I think a lot of times as outdoorsmen, we get the chance to reflect on that stuff, but we oftentimes run so fast paced and, and don't get the time to slow down and see exactly what we're looking at. And you can imagine the world we live in, how fast it moves and how quickly time fades away from us. It really gets down to the the minute as outdoorsmen because how many times have we watched those last thirty minutes of of sunset or watched the first thirty minutes of sunrise and I don't know it's a it's a blessing to be an outdoorsman and and seeing what you've done in the outdoors over the last uh, last few years has been a lot of fun to watch and being a Georgia boy we're we're pulling for you man and I, I'm sorry it's taken us this long to get you on and and talk to you because. I can see uh I can see Max Mangrello sitting in the in the cruiser saddle studio, Nick, in, in the future at some point. I hope he comes down to Georgia and makes it happen. Yeah, hey, I'm not opposed to it. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, I've always said and I appreciate you you guys said what you said. I've always kind of said with this dream mine or whatever it is that I'm pursuing, I always have told everybody I've come in contact with that I'll ride it until the wheels fall off. It's just like I said it. At any single moment, it, it could be over with and done. And so I'm not going to be, I'm not going to sit on that bed someday if you're fortunate enough to have that moment and regret any of it. So I've always said, I mean, ride it till the freaking wheels come off. So are, is this up upcoming year? Is it going to be freelancing for you? Are you working for someone or yourself? I think it's, I've, uh, I've started my own business. I've got a national exposure productions is my LLC. And so it's for freelance guys. I've got a, a couple of clients that I've that I've got some trips playing with as far as filming and producing and talking with some other people and still in contact. I see Jared pretty often. We've got some kind of put our heads together here and there on some potential ideas and whatnot. So I've kind of been asked a bunch in the last month or two months what exactly I'm doing and I still don't have like the most concrete answer. I mean, my at least as far as right now goes my most professional or valued skill set is videography and production. So I'm not walking away from that at all. I'm not continuing one that puts me in the field the most. I'll at least do my best to keep this production going in the outdoor industry because that's kind of what I fell in love with and that's what I'd like to keep. Um, there's definitely money to be made and fortunately money has just never been what it's about for me i just as long as i could somewhat live comfortably that's just all that matter at least for me right now maybe things will change now you know walking into a marriage and wanting a a family here you know someday maybe things like that will change but i've kind of always just pursued what joy to me is is worth a lot more than a than a lot of dollar signs so as as for what's up ahead for me i'm kind of figuring it out day by day, you know, figure out, you know, make enough money to live comfortably and keep hunting and keep, uh, networking, 
got some stuff kind of on the horizon talking to some people. I'm, I'm doing some work with the, the guys at Operation Impact who um, I met through Midwest Whitetail. I was doing the veteran organization that focuses on mental health. They take veterans and first responders out into the field and get them out, show them a good time and make sure checking in on them, make sure they're doing well. I got a pretty big soft spot for that. And so I'm uh, kind of their media marketing director now helping them out and filming some trips and and uh be stepping into a more prevalent role with them helping them kind of uh push along their mission which i believe in so i got some exciting stuff kind of happening in the works right now do you do you plan on staying just in the whitetail and turkey filming industry or you look are you looking to go do some elk hunting or ram or i'm certainly not opposed at all to to doing any of it um dangerous game grizzly bears i would i think i would do it all i mean and that i mean I, i'd stay in decent shape so all i gotta do is outrun whoever i'm filming if i was going dangerous <laughs> game i think i'll ditch i don't care what i got tied up in camera gear i'll ditch it if it's my life so i'm not i'm not opposed to it it seems to be that the market is heavily in, in deer and turkey and fortunately i live in the hub for it at least in close proximity to the what I consider the best in the world. So that that's kind of my bread and butter, and that's what I have the most experience in. But I've got a gator hunt um, on the horizon here this summer I'll be filming, and then uh, going on my first snow goose hunt here March the 6th, filming that. So I'm kind of dabbling. I'll, I'll take anything right now, kind of figuring out what's, what's all out there. Well, come down here to Georgia where you can film a podcast for us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Heck, I'll, I'll get on a good dove show. I haven't been on a good dove field in a long time. I don't care. I'll film a mouse hunt or we'll go up to New York and slingshot those big street rats. I don't care. Here, here's a good question. If if somebody wanted to, and we've asked this in the past, um, but if somebody wanted to go to, for work to like an internship like Midwest Whitetails, do you provide? do you have to have your own equipment when you go there? Is that provided when you get there? No, absolutely not. No, they, uh, if it's, I, I imagine they'll continue it the same as when I was a part of it. No, laptop, camera gear, everything. Nothing's expected that you have your own. Everything is, is more than, more than adequate equipment is, is given to you or loaned to you to use. That is not a stumbling block at all. And, and thankfully that I don't believe it should be, you know, especially for somebody, most of the time you're talking about maybe a fresh college graduate or, in some cases, maybe somebody just out of high school. So it's like, I mean, I didn't have anything to my name. Mm-hmm. I tied everything I had up in junk, hunting equipment, and all that stuff. So I didn't have any extra money for cameras. Gotcha. Yeah, that's always something that comes into into question. Yeah, I mean, when somebody's you, wanting to get into it. You think if a young person decides to take off up there, they can't come out, you know, twenty thousand dollars right off the rip, whatever. I don't know what those cameras cost. I imagine they're a pretty good penny um, that those guys are running. But now you have yeah. your you have your own equipment. You have everything now, correct? Yeah, I, I do. Yeah, I think yeah. it's part of. After I came and did the internship, and then they hired me on full time. It's like I wanted something of my own. That way, you know, like it's I can I don't have to worry about reporting to anybody on it, checking it in, or I don't, we don't have to check it in. But I don't want to have. I just wanted to be my own. Or if I went on vacation, I didn't feel like I was taking something away from the company, taking my own camera, and then. I think once you start down the rabbit hole, I never, ever thought I'd get to where I cared about the camera gear. I just figured I'd always just use what 
we had, you know, what was provided. And then as you get into it deeper and deeper and you start figuring out or, or learning more about it, it's inevitable that you're just going to start caring about it. So now I got some pretty nice equipment. I tied up, <laughs> I tied up a pretty penny in, in gear, but it all, it's all part of it. I would imagine most of that gear doesn't hold up too well when it gets real cold in Iowa either. Or cold and wet? No, it does not. No, absolutely not. <laughs> yeah. No, we uh, no nothing about a. The only similarities between me and a wedding videographer is the, is the word video. Other than that, our equipment is used very differently. Gotcha. I got mud over. I got you know ten thousand dollar rig that's got more mud on it than the tread on most people's tires. <laughs> Well, take care of it, Max. We enjoy watching you it's on, a bad the, on the deal. Yeah, we we enjoy watching you on uh, on YouTube and everything else that you've been able to put out. And it's it's been a privilege and a pleasure to speak with you tonight. Um, you know, coming from a couple of guys that get, grew up hunting just like you did, and, and you know, facing the challenges and seeing your success in the Midwest, and 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 being able to follow along with it, it makes for a lot of great content. But beyond the content, it makes for a lot of great stories, and and we appreciate you being able to share those with us tonight. And I I, I can promise you, you you've you've messed up letting me get a hold of your phone number because I'm, I'm gonna ping you in the future, <laughs> and you've got mine now. So when you get ready to come to Georgia, you're gonna hit me up. You're gonna say, "Hey, Alex, I need a place to I need a place to sleep or whatever." You've always got a place here. Don't ever feel like you ain't got a a place to lay your head down and. I can't promise you'll be uh, going to bed early if we sit out here in the studio and talk all night, but I, I can promise you one thing. You're you're always welcome here, and uh, if we can ever do anything to help you out, make sure you uh, let us know. Absolutely. I appreciate you guys having me on. It's been a lot of fun. We'll uh, continue through the uh, through the fun of this year, and, and as, we, uh, as we see you uh, adventure into your next journey, I promise you we're going to be cheering you on. So if you, if you need anything, reach out and – and please, uh, please send uh, our kind regards to Mr. Jared Mills, and we hope to see you at NWTF. Yeah, sounds great. Looking forward to it. Max, stay on the line real quick while we close this thing out. Alex, I ain't got, I ain't got really nothing to close it out. I, mean, I enjoyed it's a, that man. It's and, a, it's a great episode. You know, I mean, I'd, I'd hope Max would like to get down here one day if he does, if he comes back to Georgia and come up here, and maybe we can just sit down and flip the laptops open and. Just sit around a while. Teach you, teach you how to do a little bit of something. Yeah. Just, well, I know, yeah. I, I know. For us, it's uh, it's fun to see somebody that's chasing their dreams and chasing their passions. You know, that's what we've talked about a lot as we've went through this whole podcast. It's evolved from something we never would have dreamed it would be into the videography side. We got a guy that's helped us out with a lot of stuff in the studio tonight. It's always a privilege to have Alan here. Uh, we don't get to see him near often enough, but. For everyone here at Talk About It Outdoors, make sure you go over and check out what's going on in the socials. Keep up with us and come see us at NWTF. By the time this episode drops out, we're going to be a couple weeks out from that, and Nicholas is going to be right back at home in the turkey woods. So for everyone here at Talk About It Outdoors, we want to remind you to smile as you go, but don't forget, mouth the memories. Building the foundation of your life starts at the base, and the stronger it is, the better. Talk About It Outdoors is proud of our strong partnership with United Concrete and Paving and the foundation of support they provide. Whether your new home being built needs concrete work or that driveway you're tired of beating all the bearings from your pickup needs a paving, 
Michael and his team can provide any residential or commercial project sports you might need from the ground up. If you're tired of tripping over that unsettled patio slab or a future shop build needs a smooth start, United Concrete and Paving can get you going when you need it most. Give them a call at 404-831-3036 and make sure you tell them them TAI boys are where you heard it first. A few years back, when an overbearing and overgrown backyard became an eyesore, I looked for a solution to resolve. LRS Land Services created a stunning and complete transformation turnkey at an affordable price with their mulching services. Not limited to mulching, LRS can provide turnkey grading and clearing, maintenance, right-of-way clearing, and even development for any and all forestry needs. With an innovative outlook on what is best for your land and a completely different approach than others, LRS can transform your overgrown eyesore into a beautiful landscape of your dreams. Give them a call at 404-889-1105 or check their work out on Facebook at LRS Land Services. Logan and his team are ready to make your land brand new again. Are you in need of a decluttering? barn or garage slap full of stuff you just don't need or is your construction site needing a dumpster give our buddy tony at georgia junk and dumpster rental a call with services ranging from junk removal to roll-offs georgia junk is here to help with any and all removal needs if it's time to get that parking spot back or the boat needs a place inside tony and his team can surely assist Servicing Cherokee, Cobb, Bartow, and surrounding counties, give them a call at 404-406-3501 or check them out on Facebook at Georgia Junk. Clean up the yard in short order with Georgia Junk. 